or what it may be, technical difficulties or whatever like that, nothing should stop our praise, amen. And as they were singing that song, I just want to take a little time. And I was thinking of how many times we go before the Lord, and as we should, we make our petitions known, we make our supplications known, we, we tell to Him what our needs are. But so often, far too many times, we fail to take time in our lives to thank the Lord each and every single day. You may say, well, what should I thank you for? Well, first of all, if you're saved, that's enough to thank you for, amen. That's enough to praise Him for all day, every day. But I know that if you got up this morning, there's breath in your body, you've got something to be thankful for there. If you can walk on two legs, you got something to be thankful for there. You got eyes to see his creation, you got something to be thankful for. But the list will go on and on and on and on of what all we have to be thankful for. But above all, the fact that he saved our soul. And to know that he walks with us, to know that he talks with us, to know that he hears us when we cry, to know that he cares about everything that affects us in this life how can I not thank him he needs to be praised he needs to be thanked and there's times that we don't even need to come to him and ask him for a thing but we need to get in his presence and we need to simply thank him for all that he's done I said all that he's done and the reason why we say all that he's done is because he has done so much for us I can stand up here all evening all night and begin to recount to you time and time and time again of how the Lord has moved and all that he's done and it still wouldn't be enough time but I'm so thankful that one day soon and very soon I'm going to be able to step into eternity and there time is going to be of no essence and I'm going to be able for all of eternity to praise him to worship him for who he is and what he's done and I can't wait to that day but until then we need to start praising him and worshiping him and thanking him now for all that he's done amen heavenly father Lord we thank you tonight Lord, there's not words in the vocabulary, Lord, to be able to express to you our gratitude, God. Lord, the fact that we get to be called sons and daughters of yours. To know, Lord, that we were once dead in our sins and in trespasses. To know, Lord, that we were once wicked and vile, Lord, within. But, Lord, you came by our way. You washed us in your blood, and now you call us your own, God. And, Lord, there is, that is something to be thankful for today, Lord. Oh, that we get to be your children. Lord, I thank you for all that you've done in our lives. Lord, what you're doing in this house. Lord, and we thank you in advance for what you're going to do, Lord. And we give you praise for it all. In Jesus' wonderful name, amen and amen. Galatians chapter 3. How many of you are thankful for what the Lord did this morning? Amen. And he truly showed up and always shows out a man and I am so so thankful I tell you he just knows what he's doing he knows what all of us need right when we need it and there's nobody like the Lord and I'm just excited for what he is going to do uh, if it's this good now it's only going to get better from here amen it's only going to get better from here and I want to encourage each of you that are watching now or will watch you need to get here I don't know what you're waiting on but you need to get here in the house of the Lord and to be a part of what God is doing in these last days. And I'm so thankful for the ones that are beginning to even trickle in now. And we know that that is all the Lord. Uh, because again, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men. And he's bringing them in. And so we're thankful for the newer ones that are coming in. And just the Lord just keeps adding and sending us laborers for his kingdom. And I am thankful. 
but so, so thankful. So if you're watching online and you did not get the chance to watch it this morning, I highly encourage you to go back and watch this morning's service and trust you me, the anointing will be just as real at a later time as it was this morning. I can't tell you the times, not myself, but other services that I have watched like that, and the anointing was just as strong then as the day that it was preached sometimes years ago. So uh, go back and watch it, and I know it will be an encouragement to you. Galatians chapter 3, verse 15, just reading down to 18. And the Bible says, Brethren, I speak after the manner of men, though it be but a man's covenant, yet if it be confirmed, no man disannulleth or adds thereto. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He said not, and to seeds as of many, but as of one, and to your seed which is Christ. And this I say that the covenant that was confirmed before of God in Christ, the law, which was 430 years after, cannot disannul. Thanks be to God for that. That it should make the promise of none effect. For if the inheritance be of the law, it is no more a promise, but God gave it to Abraham by promise. And before I give you the title of this message, and it's simply put, but when a man promises you something, you and I both know that you can only hope. Hope in the word that he gives you. Hope that he will come through in what he says that he will do, that he will uphold his end of the bargain, that he will keep his end of the deal. But when God speaks... You can trust in him to perform exactly what it is that uh, he says that he's going to do. A God we know does not lie, as we pointed out this morning. And unlike man, he does not have to follow up his statements with thy promise. When the Lord speaks that he don't, you know, I think about that a lot of times uh, when I was growing up like that and that something would be promised from our parents. And we would say, do you promise? You know, because we knew if they said they promised that they would make good on it to do it. But the Lord don't have to promise anything. If he says it, you can take it to the bank. Amen. And so what Paul is bringing out to these Galatians is that a promise was made years ago all the way back with Abraham. That one would fully be justified by simply believing and trusting in Christ. And that one's faith in him would bring them in right standing with God and therefore and thereby giving them eternal assurance and eternal security. And promises were made to Abraham and his seed, and he wants them, Paul's wanting these Galatians, to remember that the promise that he made with Abraham was still intact with that present day at that time that he was writing unto them, as well as they are intact with you and I today. Amen. And we're going to get into this tonight, this teaching of how Abraham deals with the promise that was given and made unto Abraham and how it deals and correlates with us today. Amen. So I want to preach to you a message simply entitled tonight, A Promise is a Promise. Amen. A promise is a promise. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just come to you tonight in the name of your Son, Jesus. Lord, we thank you for your marvelous grace. We thank you for your wonderful love, Lord your abundant mercy. Lord, we thank you for your presence that is here within this house. And Lord, we just want to thank you one more time for what you did this morning, God. Lord, how you touch hearts, how you touch lives, God. Lord, you are so awesome. Lord, you know what to do, right when to do it, Lord. And we just thank you again for what you've done. But Lord, we're here tonight again, Lord, to preach your word one more time. And Lord, we ask for the same anointing that come upon us this morning to come upon us again tonight, Lord, that you would help us to rightly divide your word, doing it no harm. Lord, that you would help us to teach your word, giving us clarity of thought, 
clarity of speech, Lord. God, I pray, Lord, that your words would, would come forth out of my mouth, Lord, and into the hearts of your people, into the ears of your people, Lord, that are here in this sanctuary, those that are watching by the way of internet, and that, God, we would grab hold of your word tonight, Father, and realize the tremendous promise that you have made to each and every single one of us. And, Lord, we will be quick to give you praise for it all. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. amen and amen. So as we have stated and as we've been studying through the course of the book of Galatians, Paul, as we know, had founded this church in Galatia. And uh, many of these people here within this city of where he founded this church had come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, and they had been saved at a heathenistic worship. Uh, you may say, well, what is that? That means they were serving false gods. Uh, they were serving all kinds of idols and gods. And also they were saved from horrible lifestyles, sinful lifestyles. And so there was no doubt whatsoever in what Paul preached because they had experienced the power of Jesus Christ and what he did at Calvary's cross. Because again, as it was with them, it is the same today. Nothing else will set you free but the blood of Jesus Christ. And if you've been set free, there's nothing that nobody could say to make you say or think anything differently because you know because you have experienced that power. And so their lives had been radically changed and, and they had experienced the power of his grace. But then within just a short amount of time of Paul's leaving them, these Judaizers, as we know, have filtrated the church and had convinced them that faith and grace was not enough truly to be saved and encouraged them and actually really compelled them to go back into law and made them believe that they were not to only trust in the finished work of Christ for their salvation and their sanctification, but that they had to go back to the law and begin to keep the law, be circumcised, keep the ceremonial aspects of the law to truly be deemed saved. Amen. Galatians 1.6, remember going all the way back to the beginning, Paul said, I marvel that you were so soon removed from him who called you into the grace of Christ and to another gospel. Paul was shocked. Paul was just, had no words hardly to say within just a short amount of time that he had left them, that they had left the true biblical foundation of which they had been founded upon, that he had preached to them and made it so vividly known to them, and that within this short amount of time he gets ear that they were going right on back to law and that they were leaving the foundation of their salvation, which is simple faith and grace. Amen. Galatians 3 and 1, we see here in the beginning of this chapter where he says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ have been evidently set forth crucified among you. So we know, again, Paul preached the cross. That's all Paul preached. All Paul lifted up was Christ and him crucified and it was so vivid and it was so repetitious and again you can never run out enough to say about Jesus Christ amen and if the cross and being preaching the blood of Jesus Christ becomes boring to people then they need to check their heart amen because how could something of that nature and hearing about the blood of Jesus Christ that has been poured out on Calvary's cross ever become and never should become mundane to us should never just become oh I've heard all about that all my life it should Excite us it should do something inside of us each and every single time that we hear it 
and that we think upon it. Amen. To know that he went to the cross, he endured our sin, he bore our shame so that you and I could be free. Amen. So Paul would preach this continuously. He preached it over and over and over again because he wanted, just as I want it to be, so ingrained in your minds, Christ and him crucified. Amen. But more importantly, Paul wanted it to be in their hearts so that they would see the price that was paid by Christ for their freedom and as well spiritually grow in the Lord. And I can tell you today that without looking to Christ and what he's done, one cannot properly grow nor mature in the Lord. He is the one who grows us. He is the one who matures us. He's the one who saves us. And he's the one that matures us each and every single day. So it came as a shock, if you will, to Paul when he hears that just in this short amount of time that they had shifted their faith from the finished work of Calvary and placed it now upon the law. And they thought that they had to keep the law in addition to faith to truly be saved. And I know that we read this, and I know that we think, well, that's crazy to think, but can I tell you today that it exists as much today and probably even more so than it did back then. Because there are many people that call themselves Christians and they're not trusting and solely leaning. And when I say solely, I mean throwing themselves 100% down upon Christ and what he's done for them to truly be saved. And I can tell you today that if we're trusting in anything else or anything in addition to what Christ did at the cross, we cannot be saved. It has to be 100% grace or it's no grace at all. You cannot add anything to his finished work and then say, well, now I am saved. We're saved simply because of what Christ did. And when we came to him, we had to come to him with nothing, bearing to him all of ourselves, fully exposed, with all of our brokenness, with all of our shame. And the Lord, that's how he wants us to come to him. Amen? So in essence, they were taught, as many teach today, that simple faith in Christ is simply not enough for salvation, but to go on to be fully saved and to grow in Christ, one must keep the law as well. So you start your Christian life by faith, but then they say you must complete it by works. Start out by trusting Christ. Start out by simply evidence of faith and saying yes to him and get saved. But now we got to start on this road of works. Now you've got a journey. Now you've got to set out and complete your course. And from the very beginning, the mindset is works 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 and i said it before several weeks ago there are some people that are walking out their lives as christians and they their whole life is consumed with doing their whole christian experience is consumed with doing stuff and doing works and if you're trying to live for the lord by that you can never do enough and you will feel that you can never do enough and, and rightfully so because we fall so short of his glory amen but he wants us to rest in what he's already done and i don't understand why so many in the church today find that so hard to do it is so much easier to simply rest in what Christ has done and to trust that he's already done it all. But because we can't get self out of the way and because we can't swallow this thing called pride, we don't want to admit that there's nothing that we can do that affects our walk with the Lord. 
There's nothing that you could do to grow yourself. There's nothing that you could do to mature yourself. We can't clean ourselves up. It has to be done all and through the office of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So if you remember, if you'll go on and read, and we'll eventually get there whenever we get there. But in chapter 5, verse 2, Paul lets us know, and he told us that if you be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. Now, I know that we talk about circumcision as to what they were wanting to go back to, but you can substitute that with any law that you want to put in there. You can go to all of the law you want to, but if you're depending upon that for sanctification and even more so for salvation, then Christ, think about that. Paul said it profits you nothing. What Christ did at the cross will not profit you one iota if you're not trusting solely in what he has done for you for your salvation. And again, when it comes to sanctification, when it comes to being cleansed, when it comes to being continually cleansed, again, you have to trust and look solely unto him. Amen. So we see where Paul questioned them earlier again in this chapter by asking them the question of all questions that in my belief it settles it all, the whole matter. And he says, did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or did you receive it by faith? How were you born again? How did the Spirit originally come into your heart? That right there is, to me, uh, shuts the case. You have to say that it came in by being born again. You didn't get received the Spirit by works. You received the Spirit by faith. So if that's how you receive the Spirit, what makes you think that you can do it yourself? What makes you think that you can keep the Holy Spirit by works? Your works didn't get him in and your works don't keep him there, amen? What keeps him there is your faith in Christ and what he has done. So the Holy Spirit didn't come in. And he didn't come in to take up residence just to sit around and give us goosebumps and be that glorified bellhop for us that every time we want something, ring the bell and him move for us. No, the Holy Spirit came in and has now been assigned the role of cleaning you up and transforming you more into the image of Christ to make you more like Jesus and to make you less like yourself. To rid you of you so that you would decrease and that he would ever increase in your life. That's what the Holy Spirit is there for. He leads, he guides, he directs, but he's there to transform us and make us more like Jesus. That's what he's there to do. He don't want you to do it, and guess what? You can't do it. He's not there to sit back and not do anything. He's there to do all of the work. You're to sit back. You're to rest and walk out this life by faith. So Paul wanted them to be aware of these Judaizers and and was forewarning them and us as well. Not to let them in our minds and saying that grace and faith alone is all that is demanded by God. But there is still a part in you and I are to play in all of this. Because again, what your mind listens to, what you lend your ear to continually, I promise you, you will eventually believe. If you let false doctrine in and you continue to listen to that, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. And that's the way the enemy wants to do. He wants to just bring in a little leaven. He don't come at you with all false. He don't come to you with all wrong stuff because he knows you know too much of the word. But he comes in subtly and he wants to bring in just a little bit of leaven. And if he can get that little bit of leaven in there, then he begins to build upon it. And we know, again, a little bit of leaven leavens the whole lump. Amen? So again, be careful what you give your ear to. 
And if people are not pointing you to the cross, if they're not pointing you to Christ and what he has done, then again, it must be ignored because they're pointing you to law. And again, there is nothing but destruction that comes from such. When we start trying to live for the Lord by law, when we start looking to ourselves, and when we start thinking that we must do X, Y, and Z in order to stay saved, then we have just shifted our faith and our focus away from Christ, and we have placed it upon ourselves. Amen. You see, they do this because they really don't enjoy seeing the liberty you have. Have you ever been around those, and I've got some that are around me or that have been in my family and it's like they get so angry because they see that freedom that you have in Christ they see that liberty if you're smiling and you're laughing they, they just assume that you've out here and you've told some dirty joke or, or you're just out here sinning listen the joy of the Lord is our strength amen there's joy in serving the Lord he don't want us walking around all doom and gloom and just because I'm happy and got a smile on my face in which we should be that doesn't mean that I'm not doing what I'm supposed to do no I'm letting the Lord do this and, and we can enjoy our liberty and our freedom in Christ. He wants us to do that. Amen. So these Judaizers said that, that Paul's doctrine was ludicrous. And that he needed to back it up with doctrine. And Paul says, so be it. And he starts doing it in this chapter. They come at him and they say, you say you've been revealed this by God. Well, then you better back it up with scripture. And Paul says, he's got no problem with that. I'll back it up with scripture. And that's the way we need to be, amen. When we come and we start preaching and we start teaching, don't start preaching and teaching something you don't know because then you start crossing into the line of preaching what you've always been taught and what you may have always been taught may not necessarily be biblical. And then it crosses the line of sometimes being your own opinion and your own convictions. So preach and teach what you know. Don't preach and teach something you think you know or that you don't know for sure. And that's okay. Study to show yourself approved. And then once you begin to learn and once it's revealed to you by the Holy Spirit, then you preach it and then you teach it. Somehow I think that we think that we've got to have all of the answers and we dare not look at somebody when they ask us a question and we're scared to say, well, we don't know. It's okay. You don't know it all. But look at them and rather than going out and stepping out on a limb and giving to them what you think might be right, say, hey, let me get back with you. Let me go and search the scriptures and let me give you the truth. And that's the way we should be doing. Amen. So again, Paul had just told them that the same way Abraham was justified by faith is the same way that all believers, especially the Gentiles, were, um, were justified as well. And so the Judaizers agreed that faith in Christ saves, but the law is what keeps. That's what the Judaizers preached. Yes, faith saves you, but the law is what keeps you into the covenant. The law is what keeps you in right relationship with the Lord. So they were saying, focus on the law, roll up your sleeves, because now that you're saved, there's lots of work to do. I mean, in essence, that's what they're saying. Roll up that you've gotten saved. That's right. I have been before. And then growing up like that, you would see people get saved. And, buddy, they would come right after them, right almost immediately, and start pointing out all the things that they could see that was wrong. Never giving the Holy Spirit time to work on them. They had just gotten saved, had been five minutes, maybe a couple of days, and all of a sudden they started preaching and started bringing to them all of their bylaws, all of this stuff. They started bringing to them meat, and they had just started even drinking the milk. 
You can't have the meat before you have the milk. And even then when you have the meat, you've got to have the milk to wash it down. Amen? And so again, uh, the, the, they, what they failed to realize is that by pointing them to law, and what we fail to realize if we point people back to works is that we are nullifying the grace of God. You see, understand that His grace can only flow to those that understand that they are undeserving and recognize that there is nothing that they can do to receive from Him. And the law cancels out grace. And I can tell you tonight that you and I, we need grace. And if we try to live by the law and we start looking to ourselves and we looking to us to stay justified, then we're canceling out that grace that he wants to flow. Grace only flows to those who recognize, Lord, I'm unworthy, I don't deserve it. That's when grace can be extended. That's the only way grace can be extended to save an individual. When one comes to the Lord and says, Lord, I've got... Nothing. All I've got to bring to you is my sin. All I've got to bring to you is my shame. All I've got to you is bring to you all of my nastiness and filth. And he said, that's right. That's what I want you to do. Bring it all to me and I will in return give to you what you need in order to be right with the Father. Amen. So the Judaizers and many today now want to tell us, well, what about the law? And Paul says, yeah, what about it? Because the promise came before the law, and the law cannot cancel out God's promise. And that is what Paul here is dealing with. People want to talk about the law, the law, the law, the law. And again, we don't demean the law. The law is the holy word of God. It is holy, and it is righteous, but we have got the wrong view of the law. And Paul is saying, yes, the law came about, but what about it? Because that's got nothing to do with the promise that was made unto Abraham. And so he goes into great detail to explain that to them as well as explain it to you and I. So again, many believe today that just as then the blessings of God only flow to those that are obedient to the law and not at all with just simple faith. Amen? So we see here now in verse 15 he uses the word brethren. Now think about it. In the beginning of this chapter he addresses them and calls them old foolish Galatians. Now think about it. He's pretty much all but calling them if you want to really get this down to the nitty gritty. He's calling them pretty much an idiot because it is idiot odyssey if you, that's a word idiotacy way of thinking that you have gone you went to the extreme opposite and thinking that you can now somehow do it but Paul now scales back his tone and he begins to be more um, I don't want to I don't know if the right word compassionate should be used here but he tones it back and now calls them brethren because see all hope had not been lost he called them, identified them as brothers and sisters in the Lord. These people were still saved even though they had begun to err. But what he was sent in to do was to flash the red lights and say, hey, hey, you're on the wrong road, but you've not went too far yet. You can be pulled, come back in. But if they wouldn't accept what he was going to say, he was letting them know you're going to lose your salvation. Now, a lot of people don't think that that can be, but I can tell you again that if we get... if we stay with Christ and trust in him and what he has done there are many that have lost their way there are many today that believe that they are truly saved because of what they do they no longer talk about the blood they no longer look to the cross they think because they're holy within themselves and because they do holy acts and because they do these Christian disciplines that that's what keeps them saved no my friend grace and faith is what keeps you saved amen 
So again, he's appealing to them and he begins to use an example here of a covenant. He begins to come to them with an analogy, if you want an example. He said, though it be a man's covenant. So he's going to now use a parallel, if you will, to help them and to help you and I understand of how this covenant works and how it takes place between two individuals in life. So we know that a covenant is an agreement between two people. And that covenant always involves promises on the part of each person to the other person, okay? So in that day, an oath was sometimes confirmed by ceremony. And what would happen in that day and time and where Abraham was alive is that two animals here, an animal, would be cut into two parts alongside the backbone and placed in two rows facing each other with the space marked off between them. So let me give you a visual. If I brought to you, we'll just say a fox or whatever. I know that wasn't it. But they would slice it down the backbone, pull it apart in two parts, and there, one part would lay here, and another part would lay here, and what would be in the middle would be all of the bloodshed. And so then these two people, the, to do the covenant and the oath, would walk that bloody hallway to, as a sign and a seal of their covenant. If you've ever heard about it, uh, uh, you know how you heard about when you was growing up, you know, cut your finger and, and put it together, and this is a blood covenant. You know, it's an agreement, it's a promise one to the other person. So the parties involved would then walk together where the blood had been poured out, and in that place where they would walk, where the blood was, they would speak their promises to each other. So this covenant is almost like a, a last will and testament, which we know are the wishes of a dying person, and they are to be followed through, especially if they have been sealed by the courts. You've heard about it. Uh, people, they get a will made. They get that living will, that testament of how they want things to be carried out after they die. And once they get filed and they sealed, the courts look at it as a binding contract and nothing can disannul what has been said even after they die. It doesn't matter if all the family members come against them and they don't like it. It does not matter. It is a last will. It has been sealed and the courts look at that and not what anybody else has to say. Alright, so again, it's this excellent way, this binding contract to look at God's promises towards us. And what is given to an individual and promised to them in a will is not predicated upon their performance, but simply because of who they are. But there was an exception this time. And what would normally take place, as I said, two people would walk this bloody hallway, the, there was an exception this time. Back in chapter 12 of Genesis, God gave, as we know, Abraham a great promise, known as the Abrahamic covenant, that he would make him a great nation and would bless him. And Abraham departed from his country. He made the journey as God told him to do. And in chapter 15, Abraham gets a little worried. Why does he get worried? Because he's got no son. I ain't got no son to leave an inheritance to. You're telling me that all of this stuff is going to happen. So how in the world is this going to be? And we know that God shows Abraham all the stars and the sky and tells, try to count them if you can and says that this is how your seed will be. And Abraham believed God and we know that there it was counted unto him righteousness. So back in Genesis 15, 6, we see the first count of justification by faith. Amen. The Lord wasn't coming up with a new way of saving people. It had always been by simply believing and trusting in God. And that's what these people, these Judaizers, was getting away from. And Paul was trying to bring them all the way back. That God has always had only one way of saving people. And that is by those that is trusting in his provision. Amen. 
So, of course, we know that this is the first picture, again, of one that is justified by faith, simply by believing and trusting in the Lord. And then we find in just a few scriptures down that he causes that deep sleep to come upon Abraham. And there, where normally two people would go down that bloody hallway making promises to one another, now God would travel that bloody hallway all by himself while Abraham was asleep. Well, why did this happen? Because he was going to be making the promise to Abraham and not Abraham making the promise to God. Do you see where I'm going with this? This salvation process, this promise was all of God and had nothing to do with Abraham. Abraham had to sit it out. God walked the bloody hallway. He made an oath to himself of what he was going to do, of how he was going to redeem fallen man from humanity. Amen? So again, uh, God passed between these two pieces of the slain animals, which signified that he alone stood behind the promises. So this shows us that salvation is all of God and none of us because he walked the hall alone making the promise and the responsibility was not going to be upon Abraham, but it was going to fully lie down at the feet of the Lord. Amen. So he didn't lay any conditions on Abraham whatsoever. And this covenant was now ratified the moment that Abraham went to sleep. Hebrews 6, 13 through 15 says, For when God made promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself, saying, Surely blessing I will bless you, and multiplying I will multiply you. And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. And I can tell you today that any time the Lord gives you a promise, there is always a space there before the possession. And we know that Abraham got impatient and nothing could be said any more truer about us. God gives us a promise, but there is always a space there between the possession. And when Abraham went to complain and grumbling, tried to fix it all and do it himself, he was trying to tell Abraham, you need to be patient. I promise you, all I need you to do is be patient and believe me. But again, we can't pick on Abraham. Because I am the world's worst. Because the Lord makes you a promise and then we want to see it happen five minutes later. David's back there giving me a high five amen. He must be walking this right now. And so there's that space and that time there between the promise and the possession. So Paul lets us know that if a human will or an agreement Humanly, between two men cannot be added to or annulled without two consenting parties, then how much less can there be an alteration and the promise made to Abraham and his seed by the living God? If two people come together and make an agreement and they make promises one to another and it is sealed, it is done, there, one party cannot come in later and change it. The only way that it can be changed is if both parties agree upon that. Amen? So he's saying here, if it doesn't happen between two men, how much more can it not happen when two people wasn't involved when it was solely God who made the promises? Amen? And God don't lie. He didn't make that promise and he's sticking by it. For him to recount that would mean that God would cease to be God and you might as well shut all of this up and go home. But we know that that ain't the case. Amen? So the blessing was connected to the promise given to Abraham in the manner of a contract and it could not be affected by the law which came 430 years later. See, the Judaizers, they believed in what took place. They believed that Abraham was justified by his faith. 
But they believed that when the law came in, that God then changed his way of how he was going to save people. And we know that that's crazy thinking, but that's the way they thought. They thought the law now was given, and that's how God was going to deal with man, and that's how man was supposed to live. It was good for Abraham, but up till the law came, then everything changed. And they didn't understand what the purpose of the law was really for. So the promise that God had made to Abraham was designed to secure the inheritance or favor of God, and it was obtained only one way. And again, it was by believing in Christ, the Lord and believing in his ability and in his performance of what he was going to do. So again, God has not had two ways of justifying men. Again, Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. There's only one way to get to the Father, and that is by accepting and believing in Christ and what he has done. So he revealed the mode to Abraham, and it was by faith, and therefore it must continue to be by faith and faith alone. So the observance of the law cannot play any part whatsoever with our salvation. And it doesn't matter who may look at you and tell you that, the law has nothing to do with your salvation, and it has nothing to do with you staying saved. You stay saved the same way that you got saved. And it is by faith and faith alone. This is so hard for us as the church to get a hold of. It is so hard for us to simply trust in them because, again, we think that we've got a part to play in this, that we've somehow got to prove ourselves worthy enough, prove ourselves to the Lord that we mean. But listen, without faith, it is impossible to please God. We sit out in our life and on our Christian journey always trying to please the Father just like we try to please our earthly parents or just like we try to please other people. But you cannot please the Father with all of your good works. Only way you can please Him is by believing in His Son Jesus. Amen? By simply having faith. And if you evidence your faith in Christ and what He's done, you're pleasing the Father tonight. That's all he demands out of you. That's all he accepts out of you. And it's like you can wipe your forehead. Praise be to God. The pressure's over. I can now breathe. I don't have to carry this burden of doing it. Christ already carried it 2,000 years ago when he went to the cross for me. Amen? So we can rest in this promise tonight. We can rest because a promise is a promise that we're saved by simple faith alone. The world is full of broken promises, but here is one that you can count on, and it's one that cannot be changed, and that God saves by faith and faith alone, and nothing will change that, and that if you have said yes to Jesus Christ, and you are trusting in his finished work, it is a promise that you are saved. Well, what if I fall? What if I mess up? You're still saved. You get back up and keep marching. Amen? You get back up. Well, what if I fail 880 sometime? It don't matter. Keep getting back up. Go back to the cross each and every single time. Are we condoning sin? Absolutely not. And here's where the problem comes in at. Because when we say that you are to ignore the law for your salvation, because again, the law cannot save, then here's where the great problem and divide comes in at, where you're just wanting to use this whole grace just so you can live a life of sin and do whatever you want to. And that is not what Paul was preaching. That is 
not what we preach. As Paul said in Romans chapter 6, verse 1, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? And he goes on to say, God forbid. We don't preach this so that it gives you the latitude uh, to go and just have any old kind and live any old kind of way. No, no. Grace saved you out of sin and now the Holy Spirit's been given unto you so that now you can live that holy life that he wants you to live. But it won't be you living it. It's the Christ living inside of you who's doing all of the work. Amen? So as we cannot mix oil and water. They don't go hand in hand. You can't mix salvation and self-effort together to save one or to stay saved. It does not go hand in hand. Faith and self-performance and also faith in Jesus for salvation, they will cancel out one another. Works added to faith would annul the entire covenant because there would be a dependence upon self-effort. And again, this will nullify grace each and every single time, okay? So millions today we know are, are presently depending upon their good works to be right with God whether it be religiosity or even sacraments of the church. But none of these things make you right with God. You can go to church day in and day out. You can take all the communion you want to. You can bring all the gifts before the priest. You can read your Bible every day. You can pray every day. All of these things, you can do them, but none of those things save you. And none of those things keep you saved. And there's the problem, because many preach and teach, well, if you don't read, you're going to lose your salvation. Should you read? Absolutely. We encourage you to read. Don't take my word for it. Back me up. Fact check me. Amen? We live in a society. David fact checks me all the time. <laughs> Sometimes it's a joke, because last week I, I said something, and it come out wrong. I, I knew the right way to come out wrong, and... That eye twitched up, it was that fact checker right there, and he keeps you on your toes. But that's what you should be doing. Fact check people, amen? Use the word of Almighty God. Don't take my word for it. Get into the word and know it for yourself, amen? So verse 16 tells us that the, the promise was given to his seed, meaning singular. They weren't made to Abraham's descendants, but rather to the coming Redeemer, Christ Jesus. And we know that in Romans 6, Paul tells us that when you said yes to Jesus Christ, you were baptized into his death. So the promise that was given to Christ is now passed upon you because you're now in him. So now whatever has been promised to the Lord has now been promised to you because you're now in Christ. Amen? So the one who says yes to Jesus Christ by simply evidencing faith in the finished work as the only means of redemption, one is placed into the death of Christ by the person of the Holy Spirit, buried with Christ, and now because he arose, you and I come forth as new creatures in Christ Jesus. We're not a better version of our old self. You're not a patch job. You're not a cleanup job. You are a brand new creation in Christ Jesus. The old you is dead and is buried, and this new person that is resurrected is now brand new. Behold, all things are new. Amen? Because you're now in him. So everything about us tonight is new because, again, the old is dead. But you're now alive in Christ Jesus. Romans 8, 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Amen? Because you've got the Holy Spirit living inside of us. Now we can be called the sons and the daughters of him. Many would say then, well, what about the law? 
So that was given. We know the law was given, and it was for a purpose. And again, we're not to neglect the law whatsoever. The law was for the purpose, and it's still very much alive today. Well, what is the purpose of the law? What is the law to do? The law is always showing us how depraved we are, how sin-laden we are, how short we truly come up, and it's designed to point us to the cross so that we would throw ourselves down at the mercy of his feet. Amen? And by giving the law, it was again to show them that none, it shows us that none of us can live up to the standards of God's holy law and that if one tries to live by the law or be saved by the law, then they would end up dead. So the law of Moses was the standard of God's righteousness and anyone who would try and approach God on the basis of law keeping had to be perfect and because we know man is born in original sin, man is shot down from the very beginning. Amen? Because you're born into original sin, you're shot down before you ever get started. But even if you weren't born into original sin, if you break one, the Lord says you've broken them all, amen? And we know law kills, but grace is what makes us alive tonight. So the law pulls no punches. And if you want to be saved by a code of do's and don'ts, then you can have at it. Thou shalt not, thou shalt not, you shall do this, you shall do that. And I can tell you that that's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if that's what churches are preaching today, then I'm afraid and I wonder how many times has people went to the house of the Lord to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, but because all they heard was law, because all they heard was rules and regulations, they somehow left out the back doors never truly knowing that God is love. You should never leave out of a church feeling and hearing that this is what you got to do. You can't do this. You can't do that. The sinner man should always leave out of here whether they've accepted the Lord or not. Of course, if they accept it, they're not a sinner anymore. They're saved. But the person who hasn't accepted the Lord should never leave out of here thinking that there's no hope for them. But they should know that God is love and that he is merciful and that he is full of grace. You see, the law was the ministry of death and, and it condemned all those who tried to be saved by it. But if you want to live and be spared, then you have to come to a person, not a rule. You don't come to a rule to be saved. You come to a person. Matthew eleven twenty eight says, Come unto me, Jesus speaking here, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Rest from what? Trying to save yourself. But also to the believer for trying to clean yourself up because we carry this load of having and trying to do it on our own. And he said, take my yoke upon you for it's easy and my burden is light. Let me do the work. In fact, I've already done the work 2,000 years ago. I just need you to link up with me. And as I walk, you walk. And you don't have to bear it. I've already bore it for you. Because if you try to do it, you're not going to get nowhere. Amen? John 6, 37. Him who comes to me, Jesus said, I will in no wise cast out. You see, the law throws you out, but grace will never throw you out. And we know grace is th provided through the person of Jesus. You see, at Calvary, the age of the law ended when he cried, it is finished. He paid the penalty for our sin and was raised on the third day. And now we're freed from the law. We are delivered from the law. And you are dead to the law tonight. Amen. So the cross shows us the, the awfulness of sin. You don't have to preach the law to show man how depraved they are. All you have to do is preach the cross. Well, how are they going to know that they're sinners? How are they going to know? Because when you preach the cross and you talk about the crown of thorns that was 
driven into his head, when you talk about the beatings that he endured, when you talk about how he was mocked and how he was spit upon and eventually was taken to the cross and the, and the nails driven into his hands and his feet, that right there, you tell them that the reason why he done it was for sins. That horribleness and that awfulness of the sin then is understood by the person that, hey, he did this for me. That's why the law will never draw a person. The law will not convict a person if you go around preaching law. He said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. If the cross doesn't show them the horribleness of their sin, the law sure ain't going to do it. The cross will show them that Jesus had to die for them because they could not save themselves. Amen. You see, again, if a vision of the cross will not convince a man of his sin, neither will the law. Jesus, didn't say, Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men. He didn't say, if you'll lift up the law of Moses, I'll draw all men. He didn't say, for the preaching of the law is to them who perish foolishness, but unto us who are saved it is the power of God. No, he said, for the preaching of the cross is to them who perish foolishness. Amen. Paul didn't go on to say, God forbid, that I should glory in the law of Moses. He said, God forbid that I should not glory in the cross of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So we see here that law is not to be preached. It's not to be taught about. It's to be identified as to what it was to be doing. But again, it's the cross, the cross, the cross. Amen. Verse 17, Paul tells us that the covenant that was made with Abraham was confirmed 430 years before the law was ever given. So these Judaizers thought that it was given, uh, that the Abraham covenant was no longer, and it was all it took to stay saved. And now that there was an expectation on the part of believers to keep the law, and therefore they were demanding that circumcision be done by all men as part of maintaining their relationship with the Lord. And he was letting them know that the law did not annul what God has spoken to Abraham. The only thing that was annulled and done away with was the ceremonial and ritual laws that had all been fulfilled by and in Christ. And so therefore, I am called now to live by faith of the one who kept the law, and now I am viewed as a law keeper. Amen? That's the way we are to live. The just shall live by faith. The just, he didn't say shall live by the law. The just shall live by faith. So God has and always will be saving men on the basis of faith and faith alone all the way back as we know with Abel. He was there accepted. Why? Because he brought the right sacrifice. And when you bring the right sacrifice, and it must be the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ and all by itself. You can't bring the right sacrifice and then in addition add your fruit into it. Because the moment you add your works into it, you have just nullified the sacrifice. It has to be Christ Jesus and Him alone. Titus 2, 10 and 11 says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared unto all men, teaching us, denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. So we see here that the law does not bring salvation, nor does the law teach us how to deny ungodliness and worldly lust. So then what teaches you how to live godly? What teaches you how to live holy? The Bible says here it's the grace of God. The Holy Spirit 
It's the Holy Spirit who teaches you. It's the Holy Spirit who guides you. It's the Holy Spirit that tells you, don't do this and don't do that. See, before it was that strict law, but grace demands so much more. And the Holy Spirit now will tell you, don't go into this place. Don't go and do that. Stay away from this person. The Holy Spirit now is our teacher and our guider. Amen? So God gave the law to show man that, again, they cannot be saved by works. So that we would throw ourselves down at the mercy of God. So the promise to Abraham was of a contract and no law could disannul what God had spoken. Amen. You see, too often we view our relationship with God as to how we are to live our lives and how we should conduct ourselves in order to stay a child of God. And you can't stay a child of God by, again, keep trying to keep the law or by going through a series of works. You stay right with the Lord by living by faith and faith alone. Amen. So he made the promise. And you can stand on it. Well what is the promise of that? That you can stand on that. He said he would never leave you. Nor forsake you. Well how is it that he will never leave you. Nor forsake you. Because you're trusting in Christ. And because you've trusted in Christ. You have been given that promise. Amen. Verse 18 lets us know by the word gave. That salvation is a free gift. And it is also permanent. Can I tell you tonight that God ain't taking back what he gave to you? Man may try to take back a gift. God is not taking back a gift that he gave to you. A gift that is given to another person is given freely, simply because the one giving desires to give and that person that is giving is expecting nothing in return. Amen. God saved Abraham through promise and not the law and justification by faith alone still works the same presently amen so he goes on here to tell him in this last verse that if our inheritance comes by the law then what God told Abraham was not truthful and we all know that God does not lie amen in addition the law cannot be added to this promise because once you try to add law into this promise then the promise then is destroyed either salvation rests simply upon the promise or upon the law because it cannot be both and see the judaizers said that this inheritance that was given to us rested upon the basis of law obedience and not promise and despite what i think despite what you may think what does the bible say because the bible has the final word and the bible lets us know that it has been given to us by promise and by promise alone amen and inheritance is not given because a child has done everything right but inheritance is given because simply the child is the child of those parents. You know, we're going through right now what we're going through with my grandparents both being passed away. And, and there was inheritance that is left. And my mom and her two sisters are not getting what they're getting because they've earned it. They're getting it because they simply were children of them. And you and I received the inheritance because of the promise. And because we have accepted Jesus Christ. Not because of our performance, but because of who we are in him. Amen. Believe in the promise tonight that he has given to us. And if you believe in it, then it will cause you to rest from the toil and the labor that law will always demand, but never provide results. Amen. The only thing the law could ever do was bring us to the feet of Jesus. And thank God, when one kneels down, one will always come up clean. And when one comes up clean, then one is justified. Amen. Amen. You can stand to your feet tonight. Jude verse 24, I want to leave you with this last verse. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. 
To the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. Amen. He can keep you. He's promised that he will, that he'll keep us and present us blameless before the Father. Well, how is that? Because you're in him. Amen. And I'm thankful that it's not dependent on what I do or what I don't do. Because I can tell you tonight, if it's based off of what I do, I'm never going to be presented blameless. I'm going to stand guilty. But because I'm in Christ, because I choose to stay in Christ, he's going to make sure that he presents me before the Father as guiltless and blameless. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you tonight for your word. We thank you, Lord, for this promise that you have given unto us, Lord. We thank you, God, that you have done all the work for us. And, Lord, what, what we can never accomplish, Lord, we stood without hope. Lord, we stood without any chance, Lord God, of being redeemed, of being saved. But, Lord, you provided the sacrifice, Lord. And we thank you for that sacrifice that was given to us 2,000 years ago, Lord. And, God, I thank you for all, Lord God, that is now given to us Lord God, through what Christ did at the cross. Lord, let us never, let us never view the cross, Lord God, haphazardly, Lord. But God, let us always in awe, Lord God, look to Christ and look to the cross, Lord God. Lord, and just, Lord, look to it, Lord, and fall in love, Lord, with what you've done for us, Lord, more and more each and every single day. Lord, let gratitude and appreciation rise within us, Father. Lord, let us always neglect ourselves, our self-performance, Lord, and let us always look to the performance of what you've done for us, Father. And we'll forever give you praise for it all. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thank you tonight for being here. Thank you for joining with us online. Uh, remember, Wednesday night Bible study at 7 p.m. as we will continue our series on prayer. We're actually going to get into now this model prayer that he has given to us. And again, I promise you, avail yourself to be here uh, to tune in because uh, it will change just how you pray. It will just change your whole view of everything. Uh, it did mine. And so uh, be here if you can on Wednesday night at 7. Remember the, um, the thing, the first responder breakfast on Saturday, 9 to 11. I called it a thing. Uh, the first responder breakfast, if you could be here, uh, wonderful. If not, be in prayer for us uh, and, and that the Lord will just uh, move and have his way in that. And, of course, next Sunday morning and Sunday evening. Amen. But we love each and every one of you. Be blessed.